Welcome to Lush Life Season 3. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed with cocktails ever since. Together, we'll meet bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others from all over the world. Learn how to master the margarita with tips and tricks of the trade. And discover what to drink and where to drink it in every city you visit. And so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to join me at the bar. And let the fun begin. So today, we're beginning Lush Life Season 3 with a guest who somehow manages to be a surgeon and a nurse all at the same time. To be a great surgeon, you need absolute precision and knowledge of your craft. And to be a great nurse, you need compassion, warmth, and patience. Mia Johansson combined those attributes in a mixing glass and out came Bar Swift. I mean, determining who wants or needs to be hugged and a martini at the same time is an art and Mia has mastered it. I've wanted Mia on my show since the day we met in Edinburgh at Tales on Tour, which is the three-day cocktail conference that Tales of the Cocktail takes on the road every year. But before that fateful day, she was this mythical figure I couldn't help read and hear about. Winner of Imbibe's Personality of the Year Award, trained at Hicks and Milk and Honey, and of course, co-owner of Bar Swift and Soho, which, by the way, is one of the 50 best bars in the world, according to Drinks International Magazine, and anyone who's ever had their scropina. It was a pleasure to discover how she got where she did today, and it all began in a small town in northern Sweden, Umeå. But before we begin, if you want to know what Mia's favorite bars are in Stockholm, you'll have to wait till the not-so-bitter end. Sure. Um, as my name kind of foretells, I am Swedish. I have the two most... Well, my real name actually is Maria. So I'm Maria Alice Natalie Johansson. But my mom has called me Mia since before I was born. So I have always been Mia. Um, Maria and Mia and Johansson are the three most common names in Sweden, I think, at the moment. Mariana, which is my sister's name. Um, so I'm from the north of Sweden. But you're anything but common, so. I'm never, yeah. I look the stereotypical <laughs> part of Sweden. I look, I'm tall, I'm blonde, I'm blue-eyed, uh, but I don't think I have the most crazy Swedish personality because Swedish people are quite cool. They're quite relaxed, and I'm on the opposite of the spectrum. I'll, I'll probably hug you a bit. We kind of, Scandies have kind of got uh, an image of liking personal space. I have... I fight against that. I, I love being in other people's personal space. I love hugs. I love being able to to feel the warmth of another person and when you have a conversation and stuff go by. Were you always like that? Um, it, I, when I personally, I think I was told that when I was one or two, I uh, didn't like men. I hated anything that had to do with men, no male voices or anything. But after that, I think, yeah, I think I've always been a big personality that kind of takes a lot of a lot of space in the room yeah so um what part of sweden are you from oh yeah i'm from a place called umeo uh, it's up in the north it's like two-thirds of the country up so it has a really cool little bar called open closed which is done really really well on the, at least on the, the swedish lists i think he's won quite a few awards he's got a really cool bartender i've never met him but he uh, he's got a 
His name is Eamon Oring, and he's a really cool Swedish bartender, but I've yet to meet him. So, but that didn't exist when you were young. No, no. I left Sweden 10 and a half years ago. I'll be nine years in London in January. All right. So it's been, it's been a, quite a while. All right. Tell me a little bit about your journey to London then. So I did, well, my sister moved to London when she was 18. So I saw, and I, she's four years older than me. So I saw her kind of venture off and my best friend's uh, dad was from Plymouth so I grew up in an English speaking best friend's house so he always had the British accent and I got taught to speak English when I was like four or five or six when I was with her so I've always had this like interest of like oh what's this and then I think I fell in love with the movie you know the holiday oh when yeah you know when she goes there and everything's like Kate Winslet and I was like ooh I kind of want to go to London I want to be able to I thought I was going to live on the outskirts I was going to do the training every day Um, everything was going to be really cute and picturesque Um, but no not so much but I live mid central (laughs) I take the tube in every day but it's still 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 London is romantic London is romantic if you see it now your friends growing up Mm-hmm. Do they also want to move to London or everyone pretty much stays we in your did, town? Um, a lot of Scandinavians, we um, we venture off when we just finished school. Uh, so I did, I packed up my stuff with my friends and we moved to Norway. So I lived in Oslo for the first couple of years. Um, I think I nearly did a year and a half. That's where I met my two best friends where, who are across the world now, but we're all kind of happy. Were they Norwegian? No, they're Swedish. They're different. So I, we Swedish people have a quiet opportunity. We, we, um, uh, we get to move over to Oslo and Oslo has a, a lower tax rate for people that come in from, from Scandinavia. I think Scandinavia might be more countries and you you work your butt off and you can make a lot of money. Mostly you either work in like an H&M or Ikea warehouse, but also quite a lot of us go into the bar trade. So I had been working in restaurants and like sandwich shops since I was a kid. I ran a sandwich shop when I was like 16 or 17. So how old are you now? I'm not now. How old are you when you went to Norway? Uh, when I went to Norway, I was 19, I was turning 19. I just, I think, yeah, I was just turning 19. So already you had four years of hospi- hospitality. Yeah, 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 yeah. All it's, right. it's one of those things where I, because I, uh, you get a couple months doing work experience when you're 15. And I did mine in a bakery. And then the next door to the bakery was a salmon shop. And they gave me a job. So I managed to work. I trained for... I was a bit of a mental person. I was a kid. I did two degrees in school. And I had two extra jobs. And I trained football six, seven times a week. And I had two younger uh, teams. I took care of so eight-year-old uh, girls and ten-year-old boys. And I trained them. So, I, yeah, it was a bit of a, in that case, but, yeah, the hospitality trade was always what I like. It's, even if you're making, like, a latte or anything, I had returning guests that came whenever they were in the city and stuff like that, was, which is, you kind of take it for granted nowadays. But it's it's something that is the best part of the hospitality industry, of people just, like, remembering your smile, remembering the service, and just having something that you can connect with people. Um, so it was always going to be either hospitality or it's going to be working in a hospital, like nursing. So I wanted to be a, a midwife or a nurse when I was a kid as well. Was that was that were that your degree? Sorry. Yes. Um, wait, let me try that again. <laughs> so those the degrees that you had was were yeah. They, so I I, were... I did preschool, so I could um, I could go into becoming a nurse. That was what I studied okay. to be. So it was either going to be a social worker or a midwife. So I did everything that I needed so I could go into university and study that straight away. 
but hospitality kind of lets you travel. It's the most fantastic job ever because it's it, it allow both of us we can we can you can kind of get a job you can walk in and meet the people that work there personally straight away well if you work in a bank it's quite hard to go in and meet somebody so when you're younger if you don't have a really impressive cv when you're just starting off you can you can really showcase your personality by meeting somebody introducing yourself and just having that like a facial recognition just being like oh i'm here i'm you can trust me, I'm employable. But well, that's you... why they kept coming back to you in the bakery. I and think in the coffee so. place. I think so. You were kind of hugging them with their coffee. Yeah, so. I, I have given, I, I have only realized this. I think it's not until like the last four years or so where people really realize, oh, me and her hugs. But I've always hugged. I've always hugged. And I didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing that I did until somebody really started pointing it out. And I think it kind of became immortalized last year when, um, my dear friend Hamish, um, who owned what well, he's the editor of Class Magazine, when he put me on the cover in a hug scenario, and I think since then I think I've given out even more hugs. So it's good. I'm I'm happy. I'm quite grateful. So did you start hugging people in Oslo? As yeah, a hundred percent. I uh, I had the best boss in the world when I was in Oslo. Um, I've since I'm quite young. I've been I've been and I've been my own boss for quite a few years, but. Um, I remember him fondly. His name is Jacob. He's from Austria, and he had a friend of his, and they, they, the friend ran the pub, and he ran Italian restaurant, even though it's Austria, and it was in the middle of a Oslo um, city, which is kind of like they're selfridges, but that makes sense. And downstairs was kind of like the food area, and I remember because we all moved over, all of us. And people went venturing out trying to find a job because you're going to have to survive and you didn't have any money when you got young. And I went and handed in my, literally physically handed in CVs to all these places. Knowing full well that you want to be in hospitality. Knowing full well that this is kind of like what was going to make me be able to break the barriers as well. Because when you work in hospitality, you get to meet a lot of people and they're always quite sociable. So when you move to a new country, it's the perfect opportunity mm-hmm. to get friends and get a, 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 like a coming into like a, a group of people that will include you because people who work in hospitality are very inclusive of other new people which is fantastic so I um, I still then had a little thing thinking I was going to go back to Sweden and, and become a midwife because that was what your mom and your dad kind of put in the back of your head going like oh go have fun for a few years and then you come back but he gave me the job and Jacob is the most hospitable person you'll ever meet he has the biggest smile he makes everyone laugh he has he feels like he's like a really fun italian mom like he would just be really like his hands were always really big but he taught me how to be nice to your staff and how you should work harder than they do so he was always there was working morning noon and night and i think bless him i don't want to say how old he was but he turned 60 when i was there that's quite a few years now he was the most and he told me about these stories of how they used to travel on on cruise ships and how they did really silly things in the 70s and those cruise ships and how they had massive punch and then they got drunk and then they fell over and they fell in love and they fell in love again and then they fell in love a third time and all of these things and i'm like his stories were just so amazing and i'm like is this what hospitality lets you do i guess lets you go and have lots of fun and travel and see the world and but he still taught. He had lots of expertise. So he taught me about different spirits. And he had a thing for Aquavit. And then for Christmas, we bought him a special Aquavit. And I know he was just the most fantastic thing. And I still have contact with him today. He still makes sure that I'm taken care of and everything is all right. And I write him happy birthday every year. And he's just, he's just the sweetest man ever. 
So were you making drinks at that point? Or? I was pouring pints. Okay. I was pouring pints. I was, uh, we were trying to make drinks. I wouldn't personally call them so much so. <laughs> uh, but there were versions of like Lynchburg lemonades and uh, I, Alexander's, but like with Baileys and cream oh. and stuff like that. We were making uh very different versions of the irish coffee that we have at swift today but we were making our versions of irish coffee and stuff like that so but it, it wasn't it was more the the hosting and the teaching of like how to do it and how to run it and um, the work morale that he really handed over to me so when did you do it like a two-year stint in oslo or yeah we came when well, it I- came to an end you know well, we... we and you did, had to go back or we did go this, somewhere. Well, we did this the, the traditional way. So I'd met my best friends there and they worked in the same place as I did. So they were also in the hospitality trade. So they, we saved up our money and then we went backpacking through Europe. And then we kind of... We, we said our goodbyes, we packed our bags and then we didn't really know where we're going to end up. Did you always, even while backpacking, hear the voice of London calling you? Oh, yeah. yeah. I knew I was going to end up in London. London okay. was always happening. Like, right. I didn't know when. I didn't know how. I didn't know who was going to take me. I didn't know if I was going to be able to afford it. But London was always coming. So now we were 20. And we set off sail. We went backpacking through Europe. Um, we absolutely fell in love with Berlin. So we had, we had a base in Stockholm because my best friend had just moved back to Stockholm before we went backpacking. So we did the backpacking, fell in love with it, spent quite a few months in Barcelona as well, making mojitos on the beach out of a backpack. It was really, really fun. Um, and then we came back and I think, I think we spent the next quite a few months, nearly like, I think five, six months, we, we all found boyfriends in Berlin. So we kept going between London and Berlin every weekend. And then now, we, were you working at this point or just we were, having a good yeah, time? Yeah, no, we were. I got a job. Uh, when we came back, I got a job in this place called Grappa. This is why I got so much information on Grappa. Grappa is like, the most unappreciated spirit. I love Grappa. Hey, you and me both. Oh, I so love good. Grappa. Yeah. It's so good. I love it so much. But it's... Um, I went to work. What a dream. Isn't it just... It had a <gasps> high... I was, I was just turning... I think it was 20. Yeah, 20 turned 21. It's been a year in Stockholm. Back and forth to Berlin. And I had a hundred grappas in this space and they were so good and they had a fantastic wine list. I hope you and, tried every single one. Oh of my them. god, I'd sold them all. Oh. I was constantly on this. I had like I created my own like tasting mats. I was teaching people how to smell I do this thing today. I still teach people how to smell grappa, how to walk through. I was reading books about it. Cause I we had this host who um he was in I think he was like late thirties and he was really into like the scene then was kind of like head waiter style in New York City where like mm-hmm. if you're a head waiter you your knowledge need to be really forward and focused and it was quite on trend with like champagnes then and uh-huh. like Stockholm was really growing in like the, the bar culture scene. So he was taking us for like showing us all the ropes, all the fancy faces I realise now because now I go back to Stockholm every year and the cocktail scene is completely grown massively but he was showing us the hotel bars the the fancy bars and stuff so i it was fantastic fun but you know that's why i i love grappa and then um so is that where you started that's kind of where i started with spirits falling in love with spirits that that was more spirits i've always i've never been a beer person i've always you know when you're not allowed to drink when you're younger i won't say any age but like you know when you're not really 
Uh, I drank whiskey and wine. That's I do. I know that sounds very rebellious, and I know it sounds very uh, bartender thing to say now. Well, I used to steal creme yeah. de menthe. Oh, did my you? parents didn't know, and they blamed my brother. Oh. Until recently, when I said, "Remember that creme de menthe?" and they said, yeah. "That was you." I, I we knew you were going to do something with drinks. So I did the way. That's it. That oh, my mom. I used to put but creme de menthe is not whiskey. No, by know? far. I no. I drank if I could if I could buy myself, I would buy whiskey. I think it was four roses mostly, makers. So um, you started high. You started with yeah, the best stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but if I was stealing from my mum, I would be pouring out of her beef eater bottle and I would put water back into it, <gasps> thinking that that was more or less the same Did thing. Did she know? Did she ever find well, out? Well, she always knew. Right. But like, she was... Mothers she's, do. Yeah, she's such a cool lady. I think she only busted me once or twice, but she would... Um, I didn't do it too often. I was quite good at it. I was quite... Uh, I was not responsible in every single way or shape before, but I was respectful of my mother. So, yeah, I think they made them. They don't drink too often. So I think every, I think they made a like, gin and tonic or a spritz or something in the summertime, and it was not as strong as they were kind of hoping it to be. So bless her. Yeah, no, yeah, that's where my grandpa was. I still today. I still whenever Bobby and anyone has any questions about grandpa, he always comes to me. Grandpa and wine. Um, what did we do? Yeah, that was kind of where I got to speak about spirits when. My other best friend had now packed her bags and moved to London and she started studying here. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, this I'm, is my I'm time. Coming. I'm coming. You're there. Somebody else understands how it works. So I, I packed my bags. I had my last bit of money in the bank. And this is before social media properly. Like Facebook was there, but your phone didn't have Google Maps. You... You started to use an A to Z. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. A to Z. And like, I, I was told quite distinctively when, because I came over here and my sister's old friend, Simon, he was the, the nice man in the world. I've known him since I was a baby, but he's definitely my sister's older friend and he would look after me and he's quite quiet. And he would always be like in the house. So my mom was quite pleased with like 21 year old moving down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, okay, cool. You're fine because Simon's there. Simon so makes sure she comes home and she'll eat and stuff. Um, we we moved down here and I, I was told quite quickly that you have to pick two buses learn two buses because that will take you home and it will take you to work and those will be your two buses because it's long I'm like how do you know there are buses everywhere with different yeah, numbers yeah, where do you know it is because now you go on Google right, Maps and it tells you exactly Mapper, where to go you know yeah. exactly where arriving in 30 seconds and right. things and you have this like thing above the buses now as well tells you when they arrive this didn't <laughs> exist in 2009 are you joking me Oh my god, it was absolutely horrendous. But yeah, you got accidentally fell asleep on the N29 home so many times, ended up in Enfield. Oh, all of them. Yeah, that was good. Um, so, no. did you know that you were coming here yeah. to work, work in, in the hospital? Yeah. yeah. So, the first, I had my, his friend, also an old friend of my sister's, since they were all here, his, her generation moved a few years before me when she was 18. She had a friend called Mario Sankin, and he's still here. He's been here forever, and he's a huge personality in the bar trade in, in London. And he, I called him, and I said, I need a job. Like, where do I go? So he took me on a tour of Soho, which is really quite funny, because we went, we looked at the doors of Milk and Honey, and he said, that's Milk and Honey, but we can't get in. Because it's a private club. Because it's a private club. <laughs> and then we went to Barrio across the street from there, and we had a drink in Barrio. And then we went to Florida, and then we went to Hicks, and then we went to El Camion. And Hicks had just 
just opened its doors. And then I handed in my CV that I worked really hard on. Um, trying to spiel it a bit more alcoholic than, not alcoholic, more alcohol focused than food focused, which is kind of had been previously. And I got two um, trials, both in Floridita and a Hicks. I just do two days later, I think, and I got both jobs. You're a wunderkind. I'm a wunderkind. <laughs> yeah, no, I got both jobs. And then... Uh, what made you pick Hicks? Well, I, he told me. He was like, he's like, Florida oh. is fantastic. I, I remember sitting in Florida and there was egg white. Like, this is nine years ago. It was egg white in a drink. And I literally looked at it going like, who would put egg white in a drink? That's disgusting. <laughs> oh, but you learned so... And it was a Subrovka sour with egg white. Some and people still say that, by oh, the way. really? Yeah. <laughs> But now it's the most natural thing. Know, and I'm like, oh, it's like meringue. Fantastic. It's a binder. But like, you, I, I have this fun, like weird thing where if I start a job, I have to leave as somebody who's vital for the business and for the team. I have to leave. Like, I need to excel uh, for my own good. So when I leave, I feel like I did my utmost and my best. So you're going to stick with it. Yeah. I will never leave are... a job uh-huh. ever until like everyone here, like... Even if I don't like it, I'm very lucky I've had really fantastic jobs. But even if it was something that I didn't care for as much, like in New York, wasn't the team wasn't 100% for me in the beginning, I will rather change it, make sure it changes myself. I will put the effort in and change it than to, like, quit. I, if it's one thing, I'm not a quitter. Which bit. But no, I, I got the job at Hicks, which was probably... I'm a bit of so a... You, as we said, you chose Hicks. I chose yeah, Hicks. Chose- but it was... It was the best decision ever made because... Did you know anything about Mark Hicks, really, no, or Nick Strangeway? No, no none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then my first boss is Nick Strangeway, and I'm across the street from Dick Bradzell. And my new best friend was B, Dick's daughter. And she was literally the same age as me, and she was learning how to bartend as well. And Nick used to just give me... I started on the floor... And I did fantastic. I loved the floor and we were on time up. Especially as if far. you were hugging. Yeah, no. Yeah, you yeah. started your hugging career at, as well. I'm, I'm good right. at getting the seat set. So it was it was it was fun. And they were teaching me about everything from from classics. But I remember when I was put behind the bar and Bex Almquist, you know Bex Almquist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She works for Absolute. She's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. She was then the absolute brand ambassador here uh, in London. And she came in and she ordered a dirty vodka martini. And I was like, no idea how to make that so she walked me through and I was like okay fantastic thank you very much and I was like don't tell Nick because um, Nick's everything Nick made was batched so you know, like everything you just had to do was kind of like but if you had to like improvise and make a classic you you needed that knowledge and I, mean, I probably if you heard Dirty Martini yeah. he would scream oh who drinks that yeah. even though I love them well now I do but it's one of those things where you were like oh, yeah this doesn't look very people tasty. have been very snotty about them oh yeah yeah, yeah. I had I remember David Schwimmer used to come into Higgs back then and in New York quite often it's weird but he likes drinking um, Hendrix Martinis dirty with uh, uh, Gibson like with, uh-huh. with an onion and I was like that's really layer on layer layer yeah. layer so it's good no but I, I remember a funny story that I kind of liked to tell I told a couple of people it's I remember in the morning I was it was Steaks in the daytime is never busy. You can only get maybe eight guests in total and they're normally gin and tonic or something. But somebody ordered a Negroni. And this is before the Negroni revolution. Um, 
And I'm like, I have no idea how to make that. There was no recipe. You couldn't Google on your phone. I'm really sorry, but this is before you were able to literally just look things up. And it's downstairs anyway, so probably it wouldn't have worked anyway because there was no signal. So I ran out the back staircase, up the back staircase, across the street, knowing that Dick was across the street. He always was there in the daytime because he always did all the prep work. And I was like, Dick, how do you make make it? What's it called? A Negroni? How do you make a Negroni? I don't know what this is. He's like, find a bottle that looks like this. Point in the Campari bottle. Find a bottle that looks like this. Martini Rosso. Find a bottle of gin. You got this. Pour it all in a glass. Ice it. Orange wedge. Send it out. And cross, it, your, cross yourself. Cross your, well, and he's like, if they ask for the recipe, if they ask for the method, anything, to say it's a Nick's Strange Way special. Right. And like, he makes a special way. And the people just ate it up and it went and fantastic. Bye. You know how lucky you are because there are very few people yeah. who were able to run across the street oh, and ask the, the master of the master. I did not know who he was. I knew he was my, my new best friend's dad who works in a bar across the street. Nick Stranger, he was my boss, but he was just my boss and he was a lovely man and he taught me lots and he gave me lots of recipes and he was very trusting because I'm like, I don't know how to shake books, I don't know how to do anything. He's like, you're doing it. You're just doing it. You're going to be fine. You're doing it, uh-huh. which is kind of what I probably needed. And I, but this is not, this is like not even the worst part. The worst part, I'm the most spoiled person ever because I, my head, Bartender who became bar manager at Hicks, Francesco, was my my male best friend, and we were like a duo. And he was an older, older. He was thirty two then. Um, he uh, fantastic Italian man that had lots of experience in London, and he took me everywhere. So he took me. So I remember Rusty's first shift at Connaught. I remember when Simone had his first shift at Artesian. I remember. I was. I was. I remember when the Savoy reopened. Like, it was the most spoiled thing a person should that I just came straight in and somebody just served me a silver platter of London's industry. Knowing you, the little that I do, I yeah. don't think it's that you're spoiled. No, I think yeah. that you are very, you attract <laughs> such nice people because of your personality. Oh, you're very kind. So people want to show you these things. Also, the business, I think yeah. this business is... Very inclusive. Yes. And they want you to succeed. Yeah. I truly believe that. I 100%. Uh-huh. 100%. And this is where everyone, because everyone kind of needs to hold somebody's hand at one point in life. Because mm-hmm. not every day is going to go straight up. Every There's going to be ups and downs. And then that's where the industry is so fantastic because we're very good at lifting each other up. Um, so you left there being vital to the company, obviously, because that's yeah, your Well, goal. I started drinking so much in milk and honey and was absolutely in love with milk and honey. And that's where I met Bobby. And then, and, but we, I, I used By to be By the way, there, for, for everyone, that's your husband. As my husband <laughs> is sitting behind me on the computer. Uh, he, no, not just him. I, I remember walking into milk and honey thinking this is like the most mind blowing, fantastic venue. Everyone's so dedicated. Everyone is so hardworking, and it was so much knowledge because everyone That's there was a read. lot coming from you know oh an Exchange Way bar. Yeah, you but know? Nick Strange Way where everything was fantastic. But we learned about the drink specs that was on the menu. We didn't learn oh, what the classic was in 1920. Okay. Milk and honey was another level, and it was the number one level in London at that time. Like Savoy was With a mean old test. The best test. I love tests. Give me all the tests. Um, That's what I've heard, the rumor. If you want to work there, you have to take a test, right? More than that, you have to... Well, I came in... It's like being at school. They hired me off off the cuff of the fact that I used to show people around the venue. I used to sit there and then when they were so... Because it's so beautiful, people want to go for a tour and see the whole space. It's five floors. And I'd be like, I'll take them. 
I'll just hate them. So I think Adam White-Jones, who was my boss there, he just went like, well, come in here. And he gave me three months of training. He's like, within three months, you're going to be in the bar. But first, you're going to do three months on the floor. And you're going to do all the tests, all the serving, all the pouring. Like, we do the pouring test and the spec test and everything here is Swift as well, knowledge test. But this is before they were brand trainings. This is stuff... This is kind of what Rushmore was so good at because Jonathan Downing, the owner, he used to work with Sasha, who Petrosky, who owned Milk and Honey New York. Less than he's passed away, but they were both the kickstarters of education and taking the mm-hmm. honor and the fact that you're a, a person on the floor, on the bar, or anything you are, but you're taking honor and you're learning, you're excelling at your job. You're not just learning how to use the EPO system or a till or anything back of house or PL sheets. You're learning about your trade and where it came from and why it works and exists. And we used to have two-hour sessions, the first Tuesdays. They call first Tuesdays. I don't know if they still do them now, but they did them. And we sit for two hours and we have somebody fantastic in. So we've had somebody like Ian Hart, who uh, does sacred, all the sacred spirit. Then it was just sacred gin and sacred vodka, but now he's got, I don't know how many, fantastic. But he would teach us about the station. We would have one of my close friends today, Dave Broom, did my first ever one on whiskey. And I remember leaving and I cried, thinking I know nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I went home and I read books. I kept reading books. I didn't stop. Um... And then after you do two hours, the next month you start off with doing an hour tests every month, which is fantastic. Just the fact that you have a, a boss that pays for this. This mm-hmm. was something that didn't exist then. Um, and it was, it was the best ever. And we all challenged each other. And since I was mostly always the only girl, um, I wanted to be better than all the boys. I made sure I was better than all the boys. And um, we had pouring, we had pouring tests. You had to make sure you're on 95% accurate from Freeport even though we used jiggers we had to because we were working in the pitch black where milk and honey is only candlelit so you can't really see all the time you need to be able to feel it in your body and oh it wasn't as bad as like the stories I've heard when they were younger but like there was a few slapping of the hands and if you touched the glass wrong if you did anything you were off the bar really fast um yeah everything was very militant and but it was also this. It was the first bar I probably fell in love with. Yeah, I was in love with that bar more than anything else. I was in love with the team, the concept, the the whole thing. Because that's what bars do. Now it's a bit more where, like, special. Like you talked about Tim earlier and healthy hospital, and it's a bit more like work life balance. But nine years ago, when everything kind of kicked off, all you did was live, breathe, and eat your bar, and the concept and the drinks menu and everything. It was all about it. And how long were you there? And just under two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Bobby got the opportunity to go to New York with uh, the Rabbit Boys. And I had met a lovely man. But this is the whole point. We met fantastic people in Milk and Honey. So I'd met Dale DeGroff. I'd met all these people. And they were super happy for us to come over. But nobody had ever had their visas properly yet. It's only Jack and Sean that had, had their visas. I know a few other UK bartenders have been over, but I know a few of them that were very legal as well. <laughs> so I won't mention any names, but the first ever... We don't want to get visas. anyone in trouble. Exactly. <laughs> we don't want anyone in trouble. But they were uh, the first visas that we knew about. They were Jack and Sean's, and there weren't many else. There weren't many friends of friends that lived there. And now it's fantastic because you can kind of email whoever you want. I get emails from Singapore. I get emails from mm. Taiwan. I get emails from... New Zealand or from Iceland and going like hi me I've been to Swift da, 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 da. 
that didn't happen back then. You didn't have no. But I had a really lovely man who helped me a lot. His name is Jim Meehan. I know that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm a spoiled person. I've met. I've been. I've been. I've been. The man who wrote the book. The man who wrote the book, <laughs> and the best man in the world. Because he, I've always been quite blunt and forward, and he was the one who'd be like, "Mia, take a step back, relax. Don't talk so fast. Don't do this." And I was. I moved to New York thinking everything was gonna be the best ever, and if it wasn't on par with Milk and Honey, then it was. Sh- because um, Milk and Honey really did that. Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna have to beat that out. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It was it was not as good. Um, but I, this is what the mentality did. It, it, we were so passionate about it. Oh, what is through That we were just we thought everything else that wasn't that was not good. Mm-hmm. And Jim made me kind of look up and appreciate the whole trade of hospitality again, and not just mm-hmm. the surgical movements of the bartender but the appreciation and the concept of talking to the guests and all of those things again and just being you don't have to always be 100% you can be something else so I reference I always said that if you would compare London and New York then uh, London was a surgeon and New York was a nurse because it was much more than about having a, a conversation over the bar and really good bars were opening up. So Pouring Ribbons was opening when we were there. Bobby was the rabbit. I got the opportunity. He put me in contact with uh, a fantastic man called Josh who uh, did all the bars for Andrew Carmelini, the chef. So the Dutch, the library, Le Conde Verde. And they had just opened up a place called Lafayette and I was lucky enough to do the, the drinks program and put the back bar and stuff together. And it was, it was really, really good. But... It took a while for New York to kind of break us because that's what New York does. It breaks you down and then it builds you back up. Um, but it's it's hard. The first year was hard and the second year was perfect. It's interesting what you say about the surgeon versus the nurse mm. um, because you were wanting to be a nurse. nurse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and that you know that's kind of why you got into it in the first place yeah. and then milk and honey turned you into yeah the surgeon you know, the surgeon where it's all about the drink it's got to be the drink, the drink, yeah, the drink. Yeah, yeah. and you sometimes forget that people don't come into bars just for the yes. drink they're, they don't come to the bars because they're thirsty i always say yeah you go to the restaurant because you're hungry but yeah. you don't come into a bar because you're thirsty and it's no. all this you like don't at chat. least you don't re- return to a bar when right. you're, because you're thirsty you you return to a bar because you had a lovely time exactly you and you get the and the hugs um, and the hugs that's the thing yeah yeah I, so well New not York. everyone you kind of have to suss out who wants a hug and who doesn't want a hug exactly. uh, you can't be hugging everyone yeah, you, no, you kind of have to see everyone has their personal space and you kind of have to respect it but huh. um but, but no. so you you i guess got in touch with that yeah nurse really, again yeah he made me York. he made me i kind of say he always um, he made me look up. He made me put my head that been in the well for so long. He made me actually look up and look at the room. Um, and it was the best thing ever because he didn't... He's, he's, he's so calm. He's so collected. He's so intelligent. Um, I've only had a few... Uh, we've met quite a few times, but not too many. But when I did, it was the, the words that he spoke, I always remember. So... He's a, he's a good man. I have a lot to thank him for. Um, but when we were kind of done with New York, Bobby, Bobby's my husband's dream from Milk and Honey Days. I always ask them, going, like, what do you want to do? And he said, because um, he doesn't have the best back, which is a very much a common case across a lot of people that work in the, in the trade. Um, I said, what do you want to do? I think 2012. And he said, 
Um, I don't know. Um, I want to go. My, he's like, after New York, I don't know what to do. But I'm like, do you want to be a brand ambassador? Because that was a rarity back then. I'm like, is this kind of a dream that you want to pursue? And he said, no. So do you want to be a consultant? And he said, mm, not, I don't think for me. Because the only consultant that we really knew them was like Nick Strangery and people as such. So it's kind mm. of like a big, big deal. And we, I said, well, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to own my own bar. And I said, well, we're going to start now then. Because it doesn't take it doesn't take a week or two. It takes, right. it takes a long time. So when we got a phone call from a few friends back home here that they were uh, wanting us to open a bar with them, we took the opportunity. Um, we did, and it was a lovely bar, and it's up in Dalston. But we did it with some really poor uh, business partners, and it wasn't for us. And that kind of taught us a long journey as well, where the industry really kept. When we got uh, the bad end of the stick with that situation, the industry really came forward for us and helped us and supported us. Um, Simon Thompson, who then ran Kalu Kale, um in 2014, he gave us a phone call and said, do you guys want to do a little pop-up here? And we said, yes, please. Please, thank you something, please. Um, Did you already have any idea of what kind of bar you wanted? Well, we'd so that of, when we'd built we'd built that bar. That bar okay. was done. It was already right. running. It already won awards, and then we got we lost it. So we kind of felt like we lost our baby. So when we when we lost that bar to the bad business partners, we, the bar is still there. It's still a running concept bar, but we we were it was, it was kind of like sorry that was icing up the well. We we're kind of stripped naked. And we were a bit lost for, for, for trust. And when Simon called us in through the pop-up, and in, in a, a upstairs, I think they renamed it again back to uh, Job Job. It uh-huh. has a little room yeah, yeah, above, yeah, and everyone's been there. It's fantastic. He gave that to us and went, this is yours. Do what you want. So we did different things. But as soon as we opened the doors, there were industry downstairs past the room past the toilets like Uh we had to close the front doors everyone came to support I think a few people probably came for the gossip (laughs) they wanted to see what happened but 99% of the people came and they just paid money because they knew that we just lost uh, everything that we had to our names and we went through something very traumatic and then they went like how can we help you and this is why this industry is so fantastic because everyone is like a little weird cousin of each other it's like what can you do like you might not be there every day of the week but when somebody needs somebody you're there and that was what me bob because we were ready to go we're like okay we'll be back to the states then we'll do something else we'll we'll go and then the industry that she just came and it's like you're not going anywhere you're staying here we love you so we did that which was fantastic which is also really good because it opened up the eyes of our two fantastic business partners. They had been to our previous bar and then they came to Job Job. And me and Bobby had, because we had a previous business partner that we love, is our best friend, best man at Bobby's wedding. His name is Durham Atkinson. He's now back in Sydney with his lovely fiance. But uh, the three of us were duos, or trio, trio, sorry. Um, and we went for the last one. I think we pulled our last pennies together and we bought a site. A, pre, uh, a premium site um, on Brick Lane, just top of Brick Lane. Uh, we were like, oh, this is the last. We were painting it ourselves again. We bought IKEA furniture, just open up the doors, we'll make something out of this. And just before we were about to open, we got given a notice with a few hundred signatures from the neighborhood. They'd Google that you have to put your name in the window. 
Don't worry, I end up, look, we're sitting I know, in my I know, bar. I know, but <laughs> sorry, my hands are in front of me. I know it all ends well. It ends well. The story ends, ends well, well but still. So, yeah, it was quite futuristic, you, you know. Every time you put your heart and soul into something, mm-hmm. and then but two then, seconds yeah. before. Yeah, you know, before it's about to take off, it goes, no. no. But that's the realism like, of it. This is why I love talking, doing talks about how to open up a bar, because it's not as shiny as it looks on Instagram. It's not. It's none whatsoever. And it's your heart is in it, and it's like I'm the luckiest person in the world now because my team is looks after the bar like it's their own, which is only something you can dream of. But no, they they had seen our names in the window, and they had googled them, and they saw, of course, names like Bobby and the Drabbit and Milk and Honey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and they went like, "No, we don't want a late night bar. Brick Lane's got too many of them." Um, so. It's crazy. One. Sprick Lane is like one of the busiest oh, streets just, in London. It's literally <laughs> 30 meters across the street from it. So it's like, they're like, no, we've been here one for more. 20 years. We don't uh-huh. want anyone. I'm like, okay, well, okay. fine, whatever. Um, we had to walk around and then we thought we were going to leave London. And then we were getting married that summer. And then... Uh, Another stress. <laughs> yeah, well, that was at least a good fun. Stress. At least fun one, yeah. Um, Edmund and Rosie from uh, Bar Nighter and Oreo... Uh, called us and Oreo just opened up then as well just like the final episode of the Sopranos we're cutting you off just like that but unlike the Sopranos there will be more we chatted so much that Swift was about to open and I decided to cut the episode in two though before I left Swift she did make me our cocktail of the week our cocktail of the week is the Piccolina just like surgeons and nurses work together in the operating room, here Port and Sherry are working together to make a great cocktail. Let me tell you the ingredients before we go any further. It's 60 ml of dry white port, 30 ml of Amontillado Sherry, 15 ml of fig liqueur, 3 dashes of Angostura bitters, and a green olive to garnish. Now, I had a bottle of Graham's dry white port on my shelf from a trip to Porto ages ago, plus some gasp Waitrose Amontillado Sherry I had for cooking. Fig liqueur I didn't have, but it wasn't a hardship to get a bottle of Brio A creme de fig liqueurs. I love their products, even though I can't pronounce the name right. And Angostura bitters must be in every home bar, so you don't, if you don't have it, go get some. Also, I live with a Cypriot, so we have olives in our fridge at all times. It's easy as pie. You can stir it all together over ice in any mixing glass and then strain into a martini glass or really any glass. Pop a green olive in and it's a fabulous aperitif. So easy to make and so easy to drink. And actually any drink served in a martini glass makes me happy anyway. But as you know, you'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. If you click on Porto, you'll also be taken to my sister site, bestbitsworldwide.com, where you'll find the best bits of that city. As you know, Mia's back next week to tell us all about how Swift became Swift. Before we go, as promised... If you're heading to Stockholm, Mia's favorite bars at the moment are Shojet, which is spelled T-J-O-G-E-T, and Bar Homage. But she can't wait to visit Svart Club at Favakin, up north in Aura. 
We'll be back with another cocktail of the week as well. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast. For more information and links to everything you've heard, plus a whole lot more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. The music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your drinking partner, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar. <laughs>